Welcome to the Dynamic Company Culture Spotlight Podcast. I am David Lindsay, co-founder, lead educator, and speaker at Phenom Leap Education. At Phenom Leap Education, we believe people have so much more inside of them than they realize. And through our services, we help them become the best versions of themselves possible. Beyond the individual, we also believe that company culture is such a large part in creating a business that not only survives, but will thrive through the tough times as we have all been through the last few years. So over the next 20 to 30 minutes, we'll be shining a spotlight on businesses that have achieved this and how you may be able to incorporate some of their ideas and philosophies into your business. Stick around until the end and I'll reveal how you can become a guest on a future podcast. Now is the time to sit back, take down some notes and enjoy this episode of the Dynamic Company Culture Spotlight Podcast. Today, we have Brand Cooper. Brand Cooper is CEO and founder of Moves the Needle and is author, also author of Startup Blue Book, The Lean Entrepreneur and Disruption Proof. This gets me excited, especially disruption proof. So Brent, would you like to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and about Moves the Needle? Sure, David. Thank you for having me. So uh, a little bit about myself. You know, I never really considered myself an entrepreneur when I came out of college. Nobody had even heard of it, I I swear. Uh, But I got my first taste of working in a startup uh, during the dot-com boom and bust up in the Silicon Valley area. And that was when I first discovered, wait a second, there are people that want you to figure out how to drive impact in the business without being told what to do. And so I, I, I sort of refer that to the entrepreneur spirit. So I feel like I have the entrepreneur spirit, even if I'm not like sort of a classic startup tech guru uh, entrepreneur. And I think it's more that entrepreneur spirit that I find uh, inspiring, important, and want to pass that on to other people, especially if it, if it helps people take care of their own economy, because that's what freedom really is, is Mm. when you have uh, the ability to take care of yourself and your family and then and then have a little bit of extra to help society or whatever, whatever it is that, that, you know, you aspire to. But so uh, so after the dot com bust, I wrote this book that that ended up being the startup blue book. and uh, there was a group of people that were talking about why do we build small businesses, startups to look like big companies? Look at how much the big companies are struggling. And so that sort of launched this new career where I formed a couple of businesses and wrote these books, really trying to teach both startup people as well as large organizations how to adopt this entrepreneurial spirit in order to deal with really the digital age. And I guess that's what the last book is about, Disruption Proof, this idea that most of the way we manage our work and manage our people is built upon the assembly line mentality of the industrial age. Mm. And, and to me, everything is sort of flipped, right? And now, and now knowledge isn't in the center of the company, it's out on the edge of the company. And that's best represented not only by the fact that customers can change their minds overnight and don't have sort of the traditional brand loyalty, but also the continuous disruptions that happen, mm. pandemic, inflation, supply chain issues, ransomware attacks, I mean, on and on. These things have always occurred, but only now do they ripple across all of our economies globally. And it's really because of the digital age brings this interconnectedness and the 
the, the speed of information, the speed of even disinformation. And so it means that all of this knowledge and information lives on the edge of the company. And yet, mostly we still manage and structure companies as if the information is in the center of the company. And that's yeah. really what disruption proof is about. How do we think about organizing work differently so that we can take in this outside information and change what the heck we're doing if the, if conditions have changed, right? So build that agility into the organization so people are able to respond and 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 really develop on the fly new blueprints to being able to capture markets and create value for human beings. Yeah, I love it. And I love the sound of that because like you said, especially recently, well, you, you were a big part of the dot-com boom and then bust, but the speed that everything happens at and good, good word moves slowly, but bad news that travels so fast. So being able to zig while others zag and being able to really absorb them in is, yeah. and as I speak about is raising the company culture. People are willing to do more when they feel like they're part of the company culture compared to just a minion with one person on top doing the dictatorship. No, you're exactly right. I mean, all people want to feel like they're making an impact and uh, and they want to exercise their intelligence and their creativity. And so if you take that away from them, you're actually taking away what inspires them. Yeah. And that's a big driver for us all is having that end goal and being able to have the have the availability to go out there and do it. That's right. I mean, that's, again, I think that the, the way you manage people, in my view, in this era of uncertainty is create teams. So put everybody on a team. And as a manager, then you're not managing individuals, you're managing a team. Mm. You give them a mission. Your, your job is to go accomplish this challenge. And here's what the desired outcomes look like. Here are the guardrails that you need to stay within. Here are yeah. the metrics and how we're going to measure it. Now you go figure it out. And then the team itself figures out the work that needs to be done in order to accomplish their mission. And yeah. the team itself is the one that furthers the culture and holds each other accountable. And so if you have one bad apple on the, on the team, believe me, the team members are going to take care of it better than a manager would. And yeah. uh, on the other hand, if one a team member just has a bad day, then the team is there to pick that person up. And so it doesn't really affect the performance of the team. And so mm. there's a lot of social construct around a team. And you think about it in, in special forces in the military or all of the sports that we love. There's a lot of, mm. there's a lot of power in a team concept. And I think that as managers and leaders, if we start structuring our organization around this team's concept, we no longer have to fight every fire of every individual we you know mm -hmm. we become more proactive and therefore more strategic and we're able to even better allocate resources to trying to accomplish what our goals are yeah. ultimately what we're trying to do with this is enable people to draw a straight line from the work that people do to the desired outcomes mm -hmm. and the normal way is it splits that right we have all of these objectives that we're, we're aspiring to and yet, when we get down to managing people, we're managing the tasks that we do. And you can't really draw a straight line between those things. It's it's more like, oh, it's like hope. I hope all of these things will add up to our, our objectives. Yeah. And I love the way that you put it in teams, whether it's special forces or in sports teams, because that's my background as well. And I love reverting things back to sports teams, where whether it's over in the States with um, your football or over here in Australia with our um, rugby league, or in softball, baseball, ice hockey, we all have different positions in the team, 
So the That's quarterback right. doesn't need to do what the linebacker does or what the wide receiver does. They just need to do their job exceptionally well as part of the team. That's right. And there's really no built-in hierarchy there, right? Somebody might have a ton more experience and you might defer to that person for their experience and for their skill level. And you, and manufacture. maybe they even take you on as a mentor and they help you improve yeah. your skills. But it, when it comes to the performance, and I, I really like the special forces example here too, is the person in charge is the person in charge of that phase of the mission because of mm. their expertise. Yeah. And it's the same thing that you're saying there, you know, once the, when, when the, once the quarterback hands off to the running back or, or, or pitches back to the, the scrum half pitches back to the fly half, you know, the, the roles, the leader actually changes in that yeah. moment. And so I think that that's uh, it's a, it's a powerful way to, to uh, imagine how an organization might run. Oh, a hundred percent. And you you would have seen it more than most being so hands-on with Moves the Needle. Would you be able to talk a little bit about what worked three, four, five years ago before this whole pandemic hit and where you see things moving like in the coming months, years? I know no one has that crystal ball, but what's your <laughs> thoughts that's going to help move the needle the most? Because that's your area. Yeah, I think that... Um... In the organizations that we worked with that have successfully transformed the way they work, it's this combination of leaders being completely 100% bought in. And I think mm -hmm. this is true, actually, of most leaders. They can see that the world has changed and that they have to do something differently, yeah. but that the change happens from the ground up. And so the mistake a lot of organizations make is they go, okay, we're going to do this change, but they do it this top-down way. And they often bring in very large consultant firms that are actually struggling with the same issues that the corporation they're trying to <laughs> fix. And it becomes a structural thing and they're moving people around and they're uh, putting in all of these very rigid processes. And so what you're actually, you're not, you're not adhering to these values and principles that you wanted in the beginning for the structure. And it ends up mm. just being another reorganization. And I don't know about Australia, but here in the US, you know, big companies are going through major reorganizations every yeah. couple of years, which is absolutely insane. And it's because I think they realize they have to change, but they just kind of don't know how to do it. And th so the trick is, is it's, it's, it's a pincer move. You need the top-down support, top-down inspiration, top-down, you know, demand. We are going to do this. But the change is behavior change has to happen from the ground level up. Yeah. And so that's th that combination is what works. I think that, uh, you know, looking forward a little bit, I guess optimistically, I would say that, uh, I, I would say that digital transformation is happening faster than, than before. Mm, All of the companies right. that were the most successful during the pandemic were digital companies. And so most of the companies are realizing they have to do this. And so I think that that sort of transformation as it accelerates and the amount of uncertainty that that has been wrought by the big quit and by the pandemic and these other things really means that I think leadership will start taking a step back and going, okay, where's the uncertainty and how do we deal with uncertainty and mm. how do we deal with the complexity? That's sort of the optimistic way. I think that the <laughs> pessimistic way would be, no, we're going to do whatever we have to in order to bring things back to the way they were. And that yeah. would be a mistake. Very and, uh, and I, and I, and so there are some people that are that way, but I think that as, as sort of one disruption rolls after the other, people are going to figure out that the only way they can thrive in this environment is to, is to work differently. Yeah. And to, like you said, get people on board 
because gone are the old days of like, you know, way back when we're in order to make a profit, companies would just cut off, cut off a whole limb and expect people to do the same amount of work with instead of a hundred people with 50 people, which for me, that's just mind boggling. I and, agree. And I love what you say about, yes, you need the motivation, you need the inspiration and the guidance from up top, but you need the feedback. You need the buy-in from the players because you look up top, it's like that pyramid. Up top is only a small amount, but then you look at the amount of workers, if they build momentum going forward, well then That's right. everyone will jump on as well. That's right. That's actually what we've seen is that you start with the, you know, you, you we're eating our own dog food here. So we sort of, we have to start small and focus. You're not trying with, you're not starting with the whole bottom of the pyramid. You're looking for your early adopters or, or where you can yeah. drive the most impact. Mm. And so you're shining a light on that part of the organization that is making the change. And the moment that people start becoming more engaged and they're more inspired and they're working harder and they're driving change, suddenly other parts of the organization go, hey, we want some of that too. <laughs> and so then that's what creates the momentum. Yeah. And that's when you can start implementing, you know, sort of the structures and the mechanisms and the processes that reinforce the changed behavior, as opposed to doing the, the reinforcement at the beginning is really only reinforcing the, the old school way. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I think part of the problem is, is that there's been so many reorganizations, middle management and below just kind of sit there and go like, all right, if we sit here and we don't do anything, this is all going to come to an end in a few months yeah. and we'll just go back to the way it was before. Yeah. Which as no doubt you'd see that time and time again, where the, the big dogs, they have this grand plan. They've been to a, <laughs> a retreat and then they come back and they start waving the flag. And then, like you say, the middle management goes, we've seen this all before. It's just going to yep. blow on by and yeah, go back to square one. So what, along with that, what's a couple of things that you've seen, work successfully in order to implement change and to move the needle both successfully but also what you feel and seen hasn't worked right so the i think that the if you're on the if you're a middle manager or you're on the lower levels the thing that i recommend most is see if you can just get a group of your colleagues that starts working in this different way regardless you know don't even ask for permission just start doing, it's almost even more social. It's like yeah. have a, uh, you know, do an innovation club that does a happy hour every other week or something like that and yeah. start finding people that are like-minded. And, and inevitably, actually, you'll start getting some leaders that actually are interested in that sort of thing too. And now suddenly you maybe get some permission or you get some budget to try to work in this different way. And, and, and by working this different way, I'm really talking about going and meeting customers, developing empathy, running experiments, you know, mm. trying to bust through the assumptions, trying to figure out what's broken and how to fix it as opposed to just operating the way you were doing before. Yeah. So that tends to work if you're you're sort of on those lower layers, which again, it's, it's what starts the transform transformation. If you're more of a senior leader, I, you know, there's a, a small case study in the book where this, this head of uh, Roche Diagnostics was like literally saying, why can't I tell my people to be agile and they just become agile? <laughs> and and so it's the self-awareness that's needed that is sort of like, okay, that was really good cheerleading, but how yeah. do I actually change my behavior that reinforces their behavior? How do I teach people how to act? What does being empowered mean to them? And how do I create the environment that they're en enabled to be 
empowered and act bold and, and speak up with their ideas and, and test their ideas. Mm. And so if you're more senior, the, the real trick is that you have to, you have to admit when you don't know, you have to like do some of this vulnerability that they haven't, that they're not used to. Right. Cause that's not normally how they got up the ladder. It was all by confidence and bravado and, and experience <laughs> and knowing everything and knowing everything. And so now you have to go like, all right, well, I don't know the answer to that. So what can we do to figure it out? And you start asking questions like, well, what can we do to figure it out? Then people are going, well, maybe we should try this and maybe we should try that. So as a yeah. leader, then you can start spinning up these teams that I'm talking about. And again, the mission is go solve this business challenge. Yeah. And that could be a big challenge, customer facing, or it could be an internal process issue. Mm. How do we fix recruitment? How do we fix uh, retaining employees? How do we make employees more engaged? How do we get this team to work better with that team over there. There's all yeah. sorts of sort of low hanging fruit. And I, what I like to say is that this mode of exploration in the core business improves the efficiency of the core business. So a lot of leaders are all like, ah, I don't have time to do all of this exploration stuff. And I'm thinking, listen, you're not managing your people then, right? You can always mm. find the time. The way yeah. you improve efficiency is to build in some of this learning, this exploration. And you'll, you'll find that your teams are moving faster towards the desired outcome. Yeah. They might not be doing all the tasks that you ask them, but they're actually achieving the outcomes. Well, that's what you wanted anyway. So yeah, that, that's the end goal for any company really to have that end in mind. And if the team's going that way, you're winning. That's right. from, and from my perspective as well is it goes back again to using sports terminologies. The coach isn't in there doing every tackle, throwing every ball. He just goes, he goes to the quarterback or to the halfback in rugby league and goes, we've, we've done these drills enough. It's your point. And then the head coach doesn't even communicate to them. It's a, the coaches underneath where they go do play 74 and know that they're not going to start score a touchdown on every play. And a lot of times right. they don't want to score a touchdown. They just want to slowly edge your way up, get that 10 yards, start again, get that 10 yards. And whether they get it in one throw or whether they get it in five plays, they're still there scoring that touchdown. Yeah. No, I like it's the analogy works. And I think that it's uh, it's really kind of funny how it's obvious in some domains and yet we don't see it over in, in the mm. business domain. And I just really think it's because, you know, MBA programs have been teaching it for, you know, a hundred years and it's kind of just been the normal way. Yeah. And so I guess the real challenge is, is to go, okay, how do we do things differently in order to tackle the uncertainty that's in the environment that we're in today? Mm. Yeah. Breaking that mold. It's not, like you said, right at the start, it's no longer the industrial era where people just come in, they work, they go in their little office, get their clock on, clock off, leave. It's so much more fluid and dynamic these days as well. And one of the subheadings from your book, Disruption Proof as well, the three subheadings are empower people, create value and drive change. And that first one is what we've been constantly talking about, just the empowering of people, creating those teams and empowering that team to come up with ideas themselves. Yeah, again, if, if you have to sit there and manage every individual to make sure that they're doing their tasks then that's your whole day. I mean, that's what you're doing as yeah. a leader. And you're, you're even those leaders are not getting to exercise their own creativity, <laughs> right? They all want a seat at the table. So they want to be strategic. Well, yeah. they're just fighting fires all day long and going to 
you know, meetings, it's just, it's not getting you there. So if you actually are successfully able to empower a team to go accomplish a mission, and it's their responsibility, by the way, the team's responsibility to report back to you. Mm. They're not nagging them for information. On a regular cadence, they're sending you their, their, their metrics. They're sending you their wins. Mm -hmm. They're sending you what their obstacles are, where they need help, where they need introductions. And there's, so there's an email that you can read once a week that allows you to understand where the team is. And if there's any issues that you need to go and address, that's fine. But it's not this constant, you know, hey, is everybody on the Zoom call? Or, <laughs> you know, where's every Nobody's sitting in the cubicles. I can't see them. So I don't think yeah. they're working. You know, it's like oh, it definitely. frees up them to then be like, okay, how do I actually drive impact for the organization so that I can advance my own career? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more with that. Way. And like I've had people back when I was younger as well that were micromanagers. And for me as well, if, if you are a micromanager, there's a few different things. One, you've got too much time on, on your plate. You've hired the wrong people. You haven't trained the right people. And if you're micromanaging as well, you're limiting yourself and your team because if, if I've got a team that's working successfully, as you say, I can go off and I can work. I can free up my mind, my time, to get whether you're the boss of the business, expand that, or whether you're yeah. in the middle management, what can I do to step up? How can I grow within the business? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So like in a small business, those that can't grow, typically it's because the founder maintains too much control and mm. they want everybody to work at the same level of expertise that the founder had. And mm. that's completely unrealistic, right? The team is never going to be able to do that. But what's crazy is, the market doesn't demand it either. The person who founded the company, their expertise is usually way above what the market demands, yeah. which is great and and more power How to you. Be, yeah. Right. But once you actually want to grow, then you actually have to be able to pass off your blueprint on how you do things to another team. And it's just they're not going to do it at your own level and you have to accept it mm. as long as it's at the level that the customer is still engaged and passionate about it. So that's a... It's like it's a threshold, not a continuum, right? Yeah. If you build a, like in, we, we talk about minimum viable products all the time, MVPs. Mm -hmm. So if you actually have a product and you're trying to figure out the features and you, and you reach the right level of features that customers buy the product and love the product, adding more features doesn't necessarily mean they yeah. love it more. Yeah. It's just all the stuff that's added on top of what they what they were satisfied with. Mm. And, and so it, it, it's the same concept here. You know, just because you are, just because you're able to perform something at a higher level doesn't mean that the recipient of that appreciates all of that higher level mm. because you've passed this threshold of acceptance. Yeah. And so part of the idea as a manager or a founder is you're passing your blueprint off to another team. They're going and executing on it. They can continue to improve it. And now you're there back in exploration mode. How do I grow the business? How do I drive mm. more impact? And that, that's where the magic happens as well. When you do free up your mind, you're not worried about the day-to-day -day running of this, that, that, but you're not right. scattered like that. You can really focus in. And then once you focus in, open out and start thinking about these things that your mind wouldn't have, wouldn't have come up with otherwise. That's right. It's exactly right. And so again, it comes back to, Empowering others allows you yourself to yeah. <laughs> to be inspired again and to uh, and to use your own creativity and your intelligence to move the company forward. I love it. And Brent, with all of the experience that you've had 
over the the past decades what what information if you could give you give yourself two two pieces of information to a 15 year old brand what would that be you mean like besides investing in intel or something like that <laughs> um, yeah uh, well, i guess it's besides that'd be ideal if we could go back and if we could go back what 10 years and or go let's invest in bitcoin or whatever right well the, the funny thing is too like i was buying I was buying internet.com domains in the seventies or not the seventies, I'm sorry, in the mid nineties. And I'm thinking like, why didn't I think about buying like, you know, really good domain names? But anyway, <laughs> there's too much in life that that's, that's why I guess what I would say is, is that you, uh, you actually, I guess I would be more entrepreneurial. I would say like, like you could be an entrepreneur. Why not go for that? Like, mm -hmm. I, I think that it's, I never considered myself sort of this big idea person. And then it's not, it's actually almost like what you just said. It's somehow, somehow not being free at the age of 15 to look outside and see the world of opportunities, mm. which starts the ideas flowing, right? I mean, it's very rare that a person, you know, can stay in their cave and come up with a new idea. The cave, the, yeah. the new idea comes out from experiencing the world. Yeah. And so Definitely. I think once I entered that world, then the ideas are free flowing. So I guess I don't know what the answer is exactly what I would tell myself, but it would be somehow to, to have more faith in your own ability to get out there in the world and, and go drive change. Mm. And yeah, I, I love it. And like, like you said, it's not sitting in the cave, sitting there huddled up nice and safe where we get these ideas, getting out, exploring, like no doubt you would have got some ideas that have just come seemingly from left field when you're out doing something completely different. Well, so that's what's funny about it. Like, so the, 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 when I released the book, The Lean Entrepreneur, I was talking a lot about the myth of the visionary. And the myth of the visionary is that, you know, somebody's just cruising along and they have this eureka moment and they go like, oh, I figured out what the future is going to be. And they go and build the company or the product and, and that sort of thing. And it never happens that mm. way. Like literally never happens that way. But ideas do come out of the blue. But again, if you're just sitting around waiting for the epiphany, it doesn't happen. Yeah. If you get out in the world and you're meeting people and diversity and, and traveling if you can and, and experiencing the more life, as much life as possible, that's yeah. when the ideas will just start, will start popping. Yeah, because like I've, I've never, well, I don't, I don't like to use never. I can't remember <laughs> getting an idea when I'm just sitting around. But when I'm out there, when I'm doing my training, when I'm rock climbing, when I'm fighting, sparring, and then an idea comes and then between rounds, go and write it down or between yeah. sets. And, you know, it's been going on in the subconscious there, obviously, but right. yeah, it's not just sitting around and twiddling my thumbs, waiting for it to happen. Yeah. You, you know, Thinking harder does not allow you to predict the future. <laughs> no, not not by any stretch of the imagination. And Brand, I've I completely got carried away, and I could keep talking with with you for a long, a lot longer because I've really enjoyed this. How can people get in contact with you, and who would be your ideal client as well to help them move the needle? Yeah. So, uh, so firstly, I'm Brent Cooper on all social media, and I'm I'm pretty active on that. So you know, I encourage people to connect with me. My email is brant at brantcooper.com. And if you want to reach out, I encourage everybody to reach out. I respond to all emails. My websites are movestheneedle.com 
And those are typically medium to very large organizations that are trying to drive change, make their employees faster, more agile, more customer centric. But I also have this other website, startupbluebook.com, and I'm building courses there. I've got the first course up, which is really the basics of starting a business. Uh, but I, I'm adding more courses over time to really mm. teach people how what this exploration mindset is like and how to actually do it. So it's super specific. So for you know startups or early stage founders or even those that are are trying to figure out how to how to find new growth, then I would encourage uh, they visit startupbluebook.com. And that's exciting, especially for what's what's happening now, where a lot of people are leaving the jobs that they may have been sitting in their office for the last. 20 or 30 years, that would be a perfect place for them to start. So go go and visit the website, check it out, and you never know where, where it can lead. Yeah, thanks so much for that. I always tell people, don't confuse the size of the dream with the size of the first step. The f- size of the first step, it's pretty small. You can take 10 steps and look back and go see how far you've come. So yeah, And you go, I'm oh, still to- moving forward. Yeah, yep. But Brent, I want to thank you so much for today. And all of the listeners out there, I recommend going and checking out both of the websites, getting in contact with Brent. And thank you very much, Brent. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners have got plenty of nuggets from that. Thanks so much for having me, David. That was a fun conversation. so much for listening to the dynamic company culture spotlight podcast if you're a successful chief operations officer human resource manager or someone that runs a successful business that also has a great company culture and you believe that you have a story to share with the wider community and would like to be a guest on a future podcast please visit the link below Or if you can think of anyone who you know would be a brilliant guest on this podcast, tag them in. And as always, feel free to share this far and wide. The further we can get this podcast, the more impact we can have. So don't forget to share this on all social media platforms and help others along the way. Don't forget to tag the DCCS podcast as I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. As we post regularly, don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss episodes that will possibly help your business ramp up to a whole nother level. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping us get recognized and to promote the show. And they mean a lot to my team and I. If you want to know more, go to our website, www.phenomleap.com.au, P-H-E-N-O-M-L-E-A-P.com.au, or follow me on LinkedIn, and feel free to message me there. Thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to giving you more tips on next week's episode.